2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. We're going to pick up at verse 11. You may recall that last week we stopped in the middle of one of Paul's sentences, uh, but his sentence ran from verse 8 down to verse 12. Uh, so we stopped in the middle of it. Uh, we're going to pick up at verse 11 here this, this morning. We're going to go down to verse 14. We're going to take a look at Paul's commitment. And if we're all there, I'll read it here. It just goes like this. First, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll look at this. Lord, we do thank you for the beautiful, beautiful day you've given to us today. It's a glorious day. It's good to be in your house. Help us to be able to praise and exalt your name in a manner that it so deserves. Please guide us through your word here today, through the power of your Holy Spirit, and show us how we can be more like you. We're asking all that in your name. Amen. So looking at verse 11, uh, we need to remember, just like we discussed last week, we had to break off in the middle of Paul's sentence. So we need to remind ourselves of what we talked about last week, right? I'm just going to take just a second and back up. We were talking about Paul's encouragement for Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel that he's called to preach, right? We saw that back up in... Uh, verse 8 and verse 10, he said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He's, he's making this uh, encouragement to Timothy to, hey, you don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, and Paul himself is dedicated to it. We're going to see that when we get to verse 12 here today. And that's the reason why Paul has suffered some of the things that he's suffered. That very gospel. Now, Paul says, let's, let's look at verse 11 again. He says, whereunto, talking about the gospel, uh, whereunto I am appointed a preacher. He's a preacher of the gospel. He's an apostle, and he's a teacher to the Gentiles. Don't be fooled by that period at the end of uh, verse 11 either. That's not the end of the sentence. King, the King James writers just put that in there. Uh, I'm not sure why. But Paul's appointed to the uh, service of the gospel, and he breaks that service down into three categories here in verse 11. He calls himself a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Now, we saw him refer to those three exact roles back in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7 as well. You may or may not recall that. Let's, go, let's back up and take a look at that. Because these are three very important categories. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. Whereunto I am an ordained a preacher and an apostle, 
I speak the truth in Christ and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Same three categories. And that jives very closely with what Jesus said to Paul when he got saved. Remember back in Acts chapter 9, uh, specifically verse 15, Jesus is talking to Paul, he says, or he's talking to Ananias actually, and says, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. Describing Paul. You see, the things that Paul is writing about and speaking about are more than simply a bunch of interesting facts. It's not a bunch of interesting facts. The gospel that Paul preaches is meant to be internalized and to change one's life just as Paul himself was changed. And I've gone over it and over it and over it how Paul is probably the most changed person by the gospel that I can think of. One minute he's hunting Christians. The next minute he's struck down blind, spends a couple of days blind, Ananias comes to him, preaches the rest of the gospel to him, and now he's, he's a, the apostle to the Gentiles, henceforward. That's a changed life if ever there was, was one. We'll talk about that more later. I'm not done. I'm going to continue talking about that probably for the rest of my life. Uh, now, Timothy, Timothy, he might not be an apostle in the same sense that Paul was, but he's still called to preach, and he's still called to teach, just as you and I are as well. By the way, if you're looking for something else to pray about, Friday I had a good opportunity to share that gospel with a uh, gentleman who works here at Smith's Medical in Keene. I happen to have a gravy job. I came to Smith's Medical, talked to this young guy, Marcellus, and was able to share the gospel with him. You want the rest of the story? I'll tell it to you later. I'm not going to give it to you now. But go ahead and pray for Marcellus. It's all right if you do that. Uh, he just got a simple gospel message delivered. He didn't make any decision or anything, but uh, be praying for him. So moving on to verse 12. We're still talking about the gospel. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. This verse here, verse 12, finally brings us to the end of that really long sentence that started back in verse 8. Notice that Paul links verse 12 with verse 11 with the use of the phrase, for the which cause. For the which, because of this gospel, because of Paul's role as a preacher, te apostle, and teacher, I suffer these things. Isn't that interesting? Because Jesus Christ himself called me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, I suffer. Paul's service to Christ and to the gospel drew opposition. Just as we looked at last time, you may recall we talked about it a little bit when we were at verse, verse 10, he talks about that a little bit. By the way, the Greek word for suffer here is pasko from which we get passion. We think of the passion of the Christ. People, churches put on passion plays, right? Intense suffering is what we're talking about here. You see, Paul's preaching was anything but prosperity, health, wealth gospel like you can see on TV. I don't have to mention any names, 
you all know what you can, you turn on the TV right now, I guarantee you can find one of them. Any day of the week you can find one of them. That's not what Paul was preaching. Because of what Paul was preaching, he was suffering. Now, Paul predicts struggles and pain for people who live by Christ's gospel. Struggle and pain. You can read about Paul's troubles if you care to this afternoon. You'll have time. It's a beautiful day. Get a lawn chair. Sit out on the lawn. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, down to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. If you care to read it yourself, that's where Paul really goes at length to describe, hey, here's some of the things I've suffered in service of the gospel. It wasn't easy for him. And when Paul's speaking of suffering right now, I can only think that he's probably speaking of his time as he's sitting chained in the Mamertine prison awaiting execution. He's waiting for the headman to come. That's what he's doing while he's writing. That's why he's writing 2 Timothy. He's got a few hours. He's got a little bit of time before the guy comes to cut his head off. I'll write off one more letter to my buddy Timothy. That's basically what this is. Many, and we'll see when we get down towards the end of the book, many of his friends have betrayed and deserted him. We're going to see that next week when we get to verse 15. We see that people have deserted him. They've left him. We'll see it again when we get to uh, chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. He talks about other people who have left him. Paul's discouraged here. Everybody's left him. He's about to die. And he's writing one more letter to encourage Timothy. But in spite of all that, Paul's still not ashamed of that gospel. In spite of all the suffering, he's still not ashamed, and he gives two reasons why he's not ashamed. And by the way, both of them are no doubt meant to buoy up Timothy's faith as well. First of all, Paul claims a personal knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. He says, for I know whom I've believed, I know him. Uh, I like to think of this, and a lot of people do too. I'm not the first one to do this. I like to think of this as Paul's great committal. This is, I know whom I've believed. He's on death row. He's about to die in just a couple hours. But God is faithful. I know who I've believed. And that, that person that I believe is faithful. And he's not going to let down those people who look to him. He's not going to let you down. And that realization offsets Paul's suffering, you see. Knowing God is enough to not just make suffering bearable, but it can make that suffering into a basis for thanksgiving. How do I know that? Let's turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, at verse 41, rather. Now, uh, what we need to understand here is that the Jews are trying to kill uh, Peter and John for preaching the gospel. And they've just come before the uh, Sanhedrin. Let's look at verse 40. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they told, basically told him, hey, you guys got to stop preaching the gospel. They uh, beat him, 
commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You see, knowing Christ, knowing the one whom you believed, can take that suffering and turn it into a reason to rejoice. Isn't that something? Don't sit around, oh, I'm just suffering from this and sitting around moping about stuff. If you really know whom you believed, it'll take that suffering and turn it into a thanksgiving. Now, of course, Timothy's faith is in the same God. So it ought to have the same results. By the way, if your faith is in the same God, it ought to have the same results as well. And we'll see that when we get to uh, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 17. Uh, actually, let's do that right now. I'll steal my own thunder. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. But I said Paul gives two reasons why he's not ashamed. The second reason is that he's persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Now, when Paul says committed here, it's the Greek word parathike, which refers to a deposit. We talked about that at the very end of uh, 1 Timothy. It only shows up two other times in the New Testament. One we already saw, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. I talked about the deposit. Uh, the other one we're going to see again today in verse 14. So if you take all three of those verses, we're looking at all three times that parathike is used in the New Testament. This word refers to something that Paul has deposited in God's hands. I've committed it to him. I've given it to God's hands. That deposit has been made. I've put it in God's hands. Now, that, what, what did he leave in God's hands? What did Paul leave in God's hands? It could be his daily existence. I just trust in God for my everyday, right? Give us this day our daily bread, as Brother Fisher was just teaching recently. Or it could be his eternal destiny. I'm not too concerned. I know what God's got in store for me. That's what I was telling Marcellus just the other day. Personally, I think it's both. Personally, I think it's both. I'm trusting God for my day-to-day, -day, and I'm trusting Him to take care of me in eternity as well. God's left, Paul's left everything in God's hands, you see, just as you and I ought to ourselves. And that confidence pre prevents Paul from being ashamed. I don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. I know whom I believed. I know he's faithful. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've trusted him with. I've trusted him with everything. See, the point Paul's trying to make here is that he has a message that he's supposed to protect and share. And it's brought him to the point where he's facing execution now. But in spite of all that, God has been faithful to him. And God will not allow either his investment in Paul or Paul's commitment to him to be wasted. God's invested a lot of time in Paul. And Paul's invested everything in God. And they're not going to be a wasted effort. We're going to see that, by the way, when we get to chapter 2, uh, 
verses 1 and 2. Let me read that too. We're only going to be there in a couple of weeks. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who are able to teach others also. The things that Paul's trusting, and God's trusted Paul with, and Paul's trusting God with, Timothy, you can do the same thing. And make sure you pass it along, Timothy, to somebody else. And you and I need to do the same thing. We see that Paul is confident that God is going to vindicate him. When? Against that day. At the day of judgment, Paul is going to be vindicated. I can't expect to be vindicated in this life. Some people seem to be going through life thinking that that's going to be, I don't know why God doesn't bring me out of there. I don't know why God doesn't make this. I'm telling the truth. Why can't people see it? You're not going to get vindication in this life. You're going to get vindication in that day. No matter what the opposition of the gospel might have raised, God is not going to allow Paul to be destroyed in the last day. On that day, Paul's expecting a crown of righteousness. We're going to see that when we get to uh, chapter 4 and verse 8. Mind if I read that one too? That's one of my favorite verses in this book. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. See, I know I'm getting one of those too, because I love his appearing as well. I'm looking forward to the crown of righteousness. That's one of the most blessed promises I know of in the New Testament. That's one of the hopes that brightens Paul's day, you see. Paul's on probably his last day on earth as he's writing this. And this bright, that thought brightens his day. Moving on to verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So now we're done with Paul's long and complex sentence. And now he gives Timothy the second command in the book so far. And it's tied to the person and work of Christ Jesus. Hold fast the form of sound words, he says. Hold fast is one Greek word, it's echo, spelled just like our English word echo. That's not what it means, but that's how it's spelled. Uh, And it's often translated to keep. Now the word form literally means pattern. So putting it all together, Paul's calling Timothy to keep up a pattern of sound words. Keep up a pattern of sound words. So, what does Paul mean when he says sound words? One thing I'm certain of is that he isn't talking about some random selection of facts or simply encouraging catchphrases. We see all kinds of times where people around, they'll drop little encouraging catchphrases and things like that to people. They'll drop them off in conversation. That's not what he's talking about. That's not sound words. I believe he's referring to something similar to what he wrote in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Let's take a look at that. Romans 6, verse 17. He says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin... But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. 
You were the servants of sin, but now you've obeyed that form of doctrine that's delivered. That's sound words. See, Timothy has worked with Paul for over 10 years now. He's heard many of the things that Paul's taught and what you and I are reading right now today. And that is the pattern that Paul wants Timothy to follow. Timothy, this isn't the first day. You've been with me for a long time. You've seen how I operate. You've operated that way right with me. That's the pattern. Keep that pattern up. And he wraps up with, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. See, that faith and love ought to accompany and ought to define Timothy's pattern of sound words. And that would be just what Paul's been demonstrating for all those years that he's been working. So following in Paul's footsteps and living as a disciple of Christ, hearing and acting on the Word of God, and learning and growing based on that Word, that's the proper response, you see. Now, we got lots of things we need to overcome in this world, right? And there's all kinds of opposition, there's all kinds of discouragement, and things like that. This will be a bonus, it's not really in my notes or anything, but throughout the uh, book of 2 Timothy, Paul gives Timothy seven different resources we have, you and I have, Timothy had, to overcome these obstacles and these discouraging things that we face in life. And they, I'm going to give them to you in order as they appear in the, uh, in the book. We've got our faith in uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. We've got the Holy Spirit, chapter 1 and verse 6. We've got the Word of God, chapter 1 and verse 13. We've got His grace, chapter 2, verse 1. We've got our sanctification, chapter 2 and verse 4. We've got His faithfulness, we're going to look at that, chapter 2, verse 15. And we've got our reward that's promised, chapter 4 and verse 7. Do you think God is going to cash in on all those things that He's given us? Just, well, it's a lost cause now. That's the confidence that Paul has, all these things that he's listing out. This is how I know you can overcome, Timothy. So verse 14, we'll wrap up with this verse. It says, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This verse more or less repeats the idea from the previous verse, doesn't it? But there are some other interesting things here. That good thing which is committed unto thee reminds me an awful lot of what we saw in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, which said, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. By the way, that's all three times that this word uh, parathike is used, committed. Uh, it's almost exactly the same in the Greek, that keep that which is committed to thy trust. But notice a difference between verse 13 and verse 14, though. In verse 13, Timothy's told to keep the pattern of sound words. In faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, it says. In verse 14, he says, keep the good thing which is committed unto thee by the Holy 
Spirit, uh, the Holy Ghost that dwelleth in us. We've got two different uh, personalities working here. We've got God, to whom Paul has committed everything that we've seen earlier. Then Timothy can keep that which has been committed to him through Christ Jesus. And now we're told, keep that which is committed through the power of the Holy Ghost. We've got all three working. Now, another big difference in verse 14 is that the word that's translated keep here is the Greek word phylasso, phylasso, which literally means to put under armed guard. It means to put under armed guard. Now, here's where I kind of have a gripe with the King James here. The King James translators here, uh, in verse 13, they translated hold fast, uh, which literally means to place in a keep. The keep in the castle, that's what it literally means. Verse 14, they say keep, when it actually means to hold it under armed guard. Different, uh, what's the big significance, you say? Well, this word phylasso is only used five times in the New Testament. It's a very specific word. It always, always, always is used to guard against something. Guard against something. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, guard against greed, Jesus says. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, which we already read a couple of times today, guard against false knowledge. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 15, it's guard against Alexander the coppersmith, who did Paul some harm. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17, it's guard against deception. And in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, it's a guard against idols. Every single time, it's guard against something that's coming in. So I'll ask you a question, and this, hopefully this makes it into a practical way. Did you know, I'm not actually, I'm going to make a statement and then I'll ask you a question, all right? Did you know the church isn't always a safe haven? We hear so much in the world today about, well, we need to have a safe place, we need to have a safe place. Uh, the church is not a safe haven. It's always being threatened by various things, isn't it? We cannot afford to just sit in the pew and go to church. We need to be absolutely certain that what is going on in church is sound words. The good deposit is the good doctrine that Paul is trusting Timothy with, the pure gospel. See, Paul knows that Timothy by himself is not up to this task. Neither are you, neither am I. In order to be successful, Timothy's going to need God's support. And God is present with those who are serving him. The only way that Timothy is going to be able to guard that good thing will be to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. Flesh and blood cannot do the work that the church needs to do. It's kind of like what Psalm 127.1 says. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for any effective ministry. And that's why 
The indwelling Holy Spirit of God is so critical to Christians, you see. God himself lives with us, with our spirit, at salvation. And he connects himself with ourselves. And that's what gives Christians around the world a unity like no other human organization can ever have or know. There's something that unites you and I with people all over the world like no other. There's lots of uh, international organizations in this world, lots of them, but none of them have the unity that Christianity does. Paul even says, us, he's including himself in this, even Paul needed the Holy Spirit living in him for an effective ministry. How can I expect anything different? Do you mind if I close in a word of prayer?